1: I'm just going to tell you guys right off the top that, sure, there are plenty of ready-made excuses at this point in the calendar year. Here we are post-Super Bowl by a good week plus. Uh, We don't even have a league year starting for another month. There's no combine, at least traditionally. So a lot of excuses. You guys just, I mean, ready-made for you guys to lick the stamp and mail in this edition of Cardinals Underground, brought to you by Pacific Office Automation, proud partner of the Arizona Cardinals. But, you know, (laughs) No days off, as a famous head coach once said at his own Super Bowl victory parade. No days off. And if you guys are boring at any point, I do reserve the right, Darren Urban and Kyle Odegaard. Consider yourselves notified over here at Paulie Podcast that I have a Johnny Manziel story I'll go with. Don't make me, because I'll do it. I also have a LeBron story, and this isn't even LeBron versus MJ. This might be even worse in terms of dead filler time sports radio game planning this time of year. So uh, I hope you guys are good and ready to discuss anything and everything that pertains to the Cardinals and beyond right now, Darren.
0: Well, to be honest, you know, uh, DeAndre Hopkins just put out on his Instagram a picture, a Photoshop picture of him hugging JJ Watt with both of them wearing Cardinals uniforms. So (laughs) there's always that.
1: We have breaking news on Cardinals Underground. Where's the sounder? Do we have a Jim Omohundro breaking news sounder that we can butt in here, Kyle? Uh, What are your sources telling you? Uh, For those who can't see Kyle right now, he's actually on his phone pulling a Schefter trying to figure this one out.
2: My sources are telling me the photo is photoshopped, so it's (laughs) not real yet. Clearly, DeAndre Hopkins wants J.J. Watt as a teammate. I don't think he's in charge of the salary cap and fitting everybody in, but uh, we've seen this. We've seen this story before. A star player hits the market. All other 31 teams feel like, hey, we could use JJ Watt. Let's grab him, and who cares about the repercussions? So I'm sure uh, DeAndre Hopkins won't be the first nor the last to tweet or Instagram his support of JJ Watt, and his uh, he's going to recruit as much as he can. But we'll have to see what happens.
0: It's, it is funny because there does seem to be that flood, whether J.J. Watt at this point, but we've seen it of other players before when they get available and all of a sudden it's like, hey, come here. Or a guy tweets out, hey, you should come over here. DeAndre's message was, let's finish what we started. And it's like, that all sounds good, but none of those guys have to juggle a salary cap or worry about how much the guy is going to cost or anything like that. And for DeAndre, God bless him. He already got his big contract. So, you know, what does he care with? A, how much the Cardinals might spend or B, if he might want J.J. Watt to maybe take a little less.
1: Now oh, Wait a minute. Have one of the Watt brothers tweeted out a, a Photoshop Instagram picture of all three of them in Steelers gear? Has anyone done that yet?
2: DJ in the very beginning did a did a gif or something like basically a hand motion saying come yeah. to Pittsburgh so there's there's been plenty of that he probably has his brother's phone number as well so I'd assume he's uh chatting his ear off a little bit and Steelers make a lot of sense probably a little bit more so than the Cardinals
0: although the Steelers uh <laughs> the Steelers don't have any cap room for much of anybody they certainly don't have them for their quarterback right now so I don't. I don't know how easily that would be done.
1: Uh, JJ, Watts well, has got a place to stay in Pittsburgh, at least, uh, you know. <laughs> That's
0: but, right.
1: By the way, speaking of Houston, did I hear correctly? And, and, and don't think that because we're talking about the weather here, we have nothing to talk about because we just proved that otherwise moments ago <laughs> with the breaking news. <laughs> that Houston, for the first time ever, has experienced a wind chill, like weather wind chill readings. Like they've never had to resort to that in their weather forecasts ever before that the governor of Texas has called this the winter version of Hurricane Harvey. That's how extreme this winter Arctic blast is, the polar vortex, uh, if that's accurate, in Houston. Did you guys hear
2: that? Yeah, my brother lives in Houston and he, he has a beach house. So they were at the beach house on... Sunday morning and they were heading back to their house in Houston because they didn't want to get stranded at the beach house not knowing what was going on we've seen the power outages and everything so they got back home but he said it was going to be I think seven degrees or five degrees which I didn't even know was possible in Houston but it's like it's sub freezing there he says it snows usually once every five years in Houston and they just got throttled by that storm and so did Dallas. I thought
1: you were going to say that he was shoveling snow at his beach house. Not far
2: from Houston. That's what I thought you were going to say. The be. Coast. Yeah. I don't know how cold it got there, but knowing how cold Houston was they in Galveston, it's only an hour, an hour and a half away. So maybe they got some down there too.
1: Well, look, I know there's a huge, what 4 million plus people without power. So, I mean, it's serious. Um, when I lived in Michigan and did my second job in k that's what the locals call Kalamazoo, biggest mistake of my life, we won't go there. But I do remember losing power <laughs> overnight and waking up and it was about eight degrees and, and the house had zero power and zero heat. I dealt with that. We've all dealt with Arizona summers. Two of the last three years, it's hit 115 plus. <laughs> we lost our AC, it got Cal VC, So let's just say I wasn't on the good side of my wife when our AC went out and we had to deal with that. So yeah, the, the extreme, winter and and summer weather events that'll uh yeah i guess that'll fill the uh the time in between uh the events going on right now but
0: look are, are we gonna I mean, did you want to start talking climate change is that what we're going paul no, i mean we could just no. turn this into a, you know
1: i will say i was at a, a youth sporting event on saturday night where i think it reached like 48 49 degrees and the family next to us behind home plate broke out a propane heater and that was embarrassing honestly you can't break out a propane heater when it's around 50 degrees and you're watching a kid's sporting event there was a grandmother who came in from south dakota to watch her grandson and kindly let those people know there was negative 12 when she left south dakota the day before to come to arizona so let's just refrain from the propane heaters around here we've got a reputation to worry about in arizona until we get down to windchill okay
0: that works for me. I mean, yeah. ultimately our blood is all, all of our bloods have thin, thinned out. I mean, uh, we all come, well, Kyle's a, a native here, but I mean, I i spent my time in Alaska once upon a time and, and Michigan and you've been in Michigan. So we've all done the cold weather stuff. And yeah. my wife uh, grew up in Edmonton, Alberta, Canada. She's uh, she's pretty much done with all that. I'd rather, you know, worry about, Hey, I need the light jacket over at Postino's yesterday afternoon when we're having a couple of cocktails on the uh, patio.
1: Well, one of the newest Cardinals, I'm sure, is looking at the New Jersey weather right now and laughing and, uh, and having a good time going on in shirt sleeves and shorts and uh, starting to get a sense of what he has in the receiver room, and that's the new receivers coach, Sean Jefferson. Uh, Kyle, how about a few takeaways after he met the media here this week?
2: Yeah, I mean, kind of some of the obvious stuff where he's excited about DeAndre Hopkins. And I think he didn't say too much about the young receivers. I think a lot of people are looking at that and seeing what he can do for an Andy Isabella, a Keyshawn Johnson, a Christian Kirk. Those guys are pretty important to this team next season. And we'll see if they add a wide receiver and free agency in the draft and what the depth chart looks like. But if Andy Isabella can somehow blossom in his third season, that would be a a big move for this offense and for this team and his career. And maybe Sean Jefferson can give him some input. I'm, I'm a little bit wary from saying a, a different wide receiver coach can have this humongous impact on a player at the end. I think it's very much about a player's talent because Andy Isabella has the work ethic. He's in great shape. He he does everything at practice. I mean, he works hard. It just hasn't totally clicked, but maybe Sean Jefferson can give him a few little hints. And I think that's the guy everyone's going to be watching this off season is where can Andy Isabella go? And also Christian Kirk kind of plateaued this season. Can he reach that uh, next height in his career? How would you prioritize
1: his job tasks right now, Darren? Uh, Role play for us, all right? A little dramatic reenactment of perhaps his (laughs) meeting with Steve Kime and Cliff Kingsbury. And they sit him down and they say, Coach, uh, here's your receiver room. Um, we're ranking your priorities as such: one, two, three. What would you say? Their response was to him. What do you think his directive is?
0: Well, I would be at this point stunned, and and we don't again, we don't know what kind of direction they might be willing to go in in terms of free agency and or draft. But uh, with with the lineup that we're talking about right now, I mean. How, how is your number one priority not Andy Isabella at this point and potentially Christian Kirk, maybe uh, a distant second. I mean, you're talking about two second round draft picks over your past number of years that um, when you're spending that high of picks, you, you you're really hoping for the production. And uh, again, Christian Kirk, Kirk has, has flashed at times to the point where it feels like he's got that ability. It just hasn't completely come together whether it's injuries or whatever. And Andy Isabella obviously hasn't done much of anything. I think it's got to start there. I mean, I don't know if there's much that Sean Jefferson really brings to the table with DeAndre Hopkins. It doesn't mean that DeAndre Hopkins doesn't need coaching, um, but he's pretty much hit that level. And, and so now it's a question of what can you do with some of these younger guys? And, and it really fills in if they do decide to draft the guy, because then whether or not andy isabella for instance ever comes around you are bringing in another young receiver or you probably will and then the question beyond that is you know does he have any influence maybe over a free agent receiver they might want to have he he did say that when he's just starting the process of evaluating the guys they had over here uh already like andy isabella that's why he couldn't say much on them. And the reason for that is because he's spending been spending all his time evaluating the potential free agent receivers, which I think all coaches are going to do that, but I do think there's something to that because I think there's going to be some decent receivers on the market. I do think that's an area where the Cardinals might look to in free agency.
1: Well, the latest mock draft says the Cardinals are going all line So Daniel Jeremiah 2.0 says the top three receivers will all be gone by the Card- time the Cardinals pick number 16. So... They go line. Uh, the top three corners will be gone. So, uh, yeah, there look, there's a lot of availability in terms of free agent receivers, a lot more names than I realized. When you take a look at the group that, that could possibly be had come March 17th, um, I, I just when you look at Sean Jefferson, he's coached generational talent and Calvin Johnson. So he's checked that box with DeAndre Hopkins. He was asked about D-Hop and his practice habits, said he wasn't aware that D-Hop wasn't a regular at Cardinals practices throughout the year. We'll see what that means and how that develops. I would say, though, as important as Andy Isabella is, and the fact that Andy Isabella essentially was a healthy scratch at times this past season, that development of a number two receiver and Christian Kirk, to me, is right up there with Andy Isabella and trying to get Christian Kirk to that level where he can be considered a number two receiver, because if not going into his contract year, you don't take a guy at that point in the second round, Kyle, a few years ago, and, and then have him penciled in to be a number three receiver on a contract extension. You just don't. And so I, I think the future every bit as much of Christian Kirk as a Cardinal hangs in the balance as Andy Isabella.
2: Yeah, I think obviously Christian Kirk has done much more for the Cardinals production-wise than Andy Isabella. And at this point, he's a a much more refined receiver, a better receiver. But you're right. It seemed like he was tracking toward high-end number two status, especially in training camp this year. I remember saying I thought Christian Kirk and DeAndre Hopkins would both get 1,000 yards receiving. And Christian Kirk for, you know, about the first half of the season or so had some pretty big games was maybe not totally on track, but still eight, 900 yards. And he really fell off late. So I don't know if, if there were certain things going on, if he's just not a perfect outside receiver because of his height, because he doesn't have that truly elite speed to get behind people. Um, so we could see what happens if he does go into the slot or if he mixes and matches, I think he's a, a valuable piece whether it's with the Cardinals next season or somebody else. And we're already talking (laughs) two years down the line in this hypothetical, but I still think he's a starting wide receiver who you can use in a variety of ways. So I think he's important, but you're right, Paul, is he a number two receiver? And if he is, he's going to get a pretty nice contract in free agency. If he's more of your number three slot guy, kind of the Tavon Austin, jack of all trades type player, that's not a a 10 million a year type contract. So it's obviously a big, a big year for Christian Kirk individually. And just to help the passing game where we've talked so much about what the Cardinals have to do offensively, they need to get more efficient in the passing game. And I think Christian Kirk is a big part of that. And somewhere
1: around the time of playing at the Phoenix open and then pebble beach, Sean Jefferson heard from Larry Fitzgerald there, Darren do tell, what do we know?
0: We don't really know much of anything at this point. Uh, as usual, um, Jefferson did say he shot him a text and to say basically congratulations on the job. Um, and and Sean Jefferson said that he's hoping to be able to talk to Larry at some point, but he is not into bothering players uh, at this point in the offseason because this is their downtime. And the, the vibe I got from Sean Jefferson when he was talking about it was, yeah, that conversation – could very well take place but my guess is Sean Jefferson's probably going to find out about retirement about the same maybe not as the same time as us but after a few other people in this organization I'm guessing that you know Michael Bidwell and Steve Kime and Cliff Kingsbury will be the first ones to know Larry Fitzgerald's decision uh, of whether he's going to come back or not and then that information will be disseminated to the rest of us in some way shape or form but we we still don't know and to be honest guys I mean I feel like the longer we go, it's, it feels like that improves the chances of Larry trying to play at least one more season, um, because this is this is late for him. I mean, this is the latest I think now at this point, or pretty close to the latest that we've heard anything.
1: I agree. I was just about to pose a question. the question: true or false? The longer we wait, the better the odds are that the answer is Larry's coming back for an 18th season. True or false, Kyle?
2: Uh, I'd say somewhere in between. I don't, I don't know if it matters because like Darren said, it's been longer than it has the last four years or whatever, but what happened to every single other time he decided to come back. So I don't think this is a barometer, meaning he's more likely to come back because it's taking longer. He decided to come back quickly in some years, a little bit longer in some others, but every single time it's been earlier than this and he did come back. So maybe he's just making sure he wants to retire and and not making a rash decision. I'm not saying that is the truth, but I could definitely see it going either way still. And I don't think it improves the chances of him coming back just because we're into mid February now.
1: Maybe he's waiting on JJ Watt, you know, I I don't know, maybe, you know, maybe he's waiting to see if there's, there's some sort of news. Um,
2: Or a uh, D hop Instagram post. Exactly.
1: You know, so I just, uh, I don't know. I, I get the sense. Did he meet the media, by the way, at Pebble? Did he ever do a media session? Did you guys see? Did he, Did he, anybody lob him? The proverbial question when he's standing there with Bill Murray?
0: I did not see anything. And, and again, everything that he seems to have answered at this point was he just didn't have a decision. Uh, so, I mean, I, I think we're, we're – I, I, again, I don't know if he knows at this point, which is why um, – which is why we haven't heard anything. And to be honest, I see where Kyle's coming from, and he's not wrong. I mean, Larry knows that once he says he's retiring, he's done. And so you absolutely want to be sure. Now, I will say this. I think the reason it's – maybe it's not improving the chances he's coming back necessarily. But I do think that – I think the length of time does underscore the fact that he is seriously thinking about hanging it up at this point. And he does want to give heavier thought to it. And if you continue to think, do I really want to do this? Then within that prism, I think you could say, well, maybe it, it, it does It does improve, however incrementally, the chances that he comes back. Because I do think, I, it feels like, and, and Paul, we've talked about this before, it feels like the vibe at the end of the season was he was probably done. And so it makes sense that he's going to want to really – Give it a lot of thought and and either way i i understand where he might go with it but there's a there's a lot involved here i mean if he decides okay i'm coming back does that legitimately change what this team might do at wide receiver do they say well you're you're close enough to the end we've got to be looking forward to the future and if so and they get a guy whether in free agency or the draft that is high up enough does that push larry fitzgerald's role into a more diminished part where he even wants to be there in the first place. I mean, there's, there's all these things he's gotta start juggling at this point.
1: Two thoughts, one, could he possibly be waiting along with the team on the official salary cap figure? A guy who's made his jersey number the last number of years, that's not feasible, doable or plausible, but what sort of haircut is Larry gonna take in terms of his $11 million salary? And is that predicated on what that official final number is? And is that contingent upon these media deals that are hanging in the balance to some degree, even though they don't kick in later, teams might be willing to spend a little more or make certain accommodations down the line and restructure things accordingly that they'll have to account for later if they know these media right deals are in place. So I wonder if it's purely the business of football right now. If I'm gonna play, how much am I gonna make? Uh, number two, um, I, I would say this much as as far as Larry goes. As I totally lost my thought, Kyle. So if you had something to throw in at the very yeah. moment,
0: what? Is- <laughs> I'll say here. here I'll, I got the lifesaver
2: right here. No, yeah. I, I think the the Fitz business idea would be totally Fitz, where he's gonna tell you, hey, if it's 185 million, I'll play for X amount, but if it goes up. I get a percentage of the cap after that. that would be a definite uh, Fitz business move. And that would be fantastic if true. And, but you're right. I mean, can he still get $11 million at this point? Probably not, but we all know how much he means to this franchise and he's going to get more than the, the production would say. So where is that? Where do you meet between team and player? And I mean, Fitz has a lot of leverage because of who he is, because of what he means to this team and this state and, it's it's an interesting negotiation for sure
1: hey i mean the guy's on the board of directors for dick sporting goods and <laughs> yep. he's he's a part owner of an nba team okay so he's been his way he's been around the business table and dealings before here's what i was going to offer earlier and it <laughs> slipped my mind it goes back to 2 weeks ago on the big red rage antoine Bethea was our guest former cardinal 14 years in the nfl just recently filed his papers and made it official he retired wolf asked him why what made you decide what was the catalyst to say, you know what, I'm done? And he said, it wasn't the season itself. He said, when you get to September, that's great. You can make it week to week. You've got games to prepare for. The adrenaline is flowing. You enjoy playing in the games. It's February through August. It's do I want to put in all the commitment to staying in shape and all the OTAs. Now, obviously, that's going to be reduced and different. It looks like another pandemic affected offseason season. But it's training and staying in shape and then training camp. He said, that's how you know. When you don't have the willingness to do the offseason, that tells you that you don't have another playing season in you. That's what it came down to for him. That's what he's told by a number of guys. And I wonder if Larry's still trying to make that decision. Do I have it in me? Do I really want to start training again and go through all the off season prep?
0: No, and I, I think that's a fair question, especially when you start talking about, let's put the money aside for a minute. If you're going to do all this work uh, and then you feel like maybe you aren't targeted quite as much as you should be, you know, is it worth that trade-off? I will, I will say that, I mean, Kurt Warner said the same thing and it wasn't the physical part of the, uh, of the training, but the mental part that really drove Kurt out saying, I just mentally, I was burned out having to do it. So that's also part of it it's funny uh i love antoine bethane he's a great guy but the other thing too which kind of rings back in my head um i mean antoine bethane didn't play in 2020 he retired now and i'm sure he didn't want to uh i'm sure he was looking for a job this past year and team said yeah we don't want you anymore you're you're it's past your time that's one reason why he probably retired is because nobody wanted him and it makes me think and I love Antoine Bethea. I hope he doesn't take that as a rep like he'd ever hear it. But um, I, I think with Larry, here's a guy who I've heard say to me multiple times, you want to be able to retire before they retire you. And he's in a position right now where he can still make that call. And you don't want to be in a position where you're Jerry. I mean, Jerry Rice, greatest receiver of all time he was retired by the NFL his last game the last time he ever appeared in a uniform was with the Denver Broncos in a preseason game in the fourth preseason game at Sun Devil Stadium and he was playing in the fourth quarter and after that game was over I think the writing was on the wall and he said okay I'm done you don't want Larry Fitzgerald to be, you know, in a position where, and I, this team would never do that to him. I mean, Jerry Rice was in a different spot where he had already played for three other teams beyond the 49ers. And, and that's, that's the deal is. He, he meant different to those that the 49ers than he did to the other teams and Fitz means something different. So that would never happen here, the preseason part of it, but you know, you, you don't want to get to the point where it, again, they're retiring you rather than the other way around. And, And that can make for difficult decisions, too. So I I think all of these things uh, get stuffed and fits his head when he's thinking about this.
1: Was that 2005? Was that preseason game 2005? Do you happen to remember?
0: I don't. You
1: know what I remember (laughs) about the Broncos preseason Sun Devil Stadium fourth game? The one and only time I've ever been drilled on the sideline. It was back before I did the pregame show and I was standing there an hour before kickoff and I'm talking to someone on the sideline and I'm off the sideline and some backup quarterback who didn't make the team for the Broncos skipped an outpass and it went off the turf at 100 miles an hour and hit me square in the side of the head. I got ear hold without a helmet on and I, you have to maintain your composure like, oh, it didn't hurt. Oh, my. Oh, does that hurt? Oh, and you're just, and I'm gritting my teeth and I'm talking to a few people on the side. I go, no worries, I'm good. And I'm walking around. And in the back of my head, I'm thinking, I need concussion protocol.
0: Oh boy. Okay. So, two things off of that one, put check. You're right. That was 2005. So, Jerry Rice's last game and your, uh, your fourth <laughs> incident happened on the same day.
1: Jerry uh, Rice probably missed that ball and it hit me. In the head. <laughs>
0: that's when he knew he had to retire (laughs) I I will say I did briefly look up Jerry Rice could have been on that Broncos roster but they were going to make him the fourth or fifth receiver and he didn't want to do that and again that's something like I'm not saying that's what the Cardinals would do with Fitz but it's something that's got to play in his head but going back to your story I, I I can't help but think training camp 2010 2011 somewhere in there um the, the Cardinals had a, we were still in Flagstaff and the Cardinals had a uh, equipment intern and there was a break in the action and the quarterbacks were down on the lower field. You remember the lower field, Paul, uh, sure. at NAU and a uh, huge crowd. They were ringing the field. And on that, the goalposts on the far end of the lower field, like nearest the, the sky dome, the quarterbacks decided they were going to play a game. Where, which I don't really understand the point of it, but um, they were trying to hit the uh, one of the goalposts. Okay, so the throw- they're, they're,
1: it's training camp, they're quarterbacks, they're bored, also they don't true. need a point, they'll do whatever they want. Go ahead.
0: So if you recall, also that the fence that held the, the fans back wasn't that far back of the end zone there. And they had this equipment manager behind the goalposts to catch the ball in case it didn't hit the goalpost. So, you know, fans weren't going to get hit. But the quarterbacks were going a little faster than he was ready. Ruh-roh. Somebody threw one, and he was turning to pick it up. And as he turned back around, John Skelton took his turn. Jim John Skelton threw it about 100 miles an hour like a stone skipping off the grass and i don't he couldn't have aimed it any better than into this guy's groin and (laughs) so in front of 150 people 200 people that were watching this (laughs) thing he just he caught this thing square point right where you don't want it and just doubled over in pain it was the worst down goes
1: the fan that's, uh, yeah, he, he's lucky. That's pre uh, where everything was on video. That would have gone viral in an instant. Yeah,
0: I did get a photo of it. I think I was taking pictures and I interviewed him <laughs> later for like a blog post. He was quite proud of it. I think he sent it <laughs> to his parents.
1: I mean, Rex Chapman would have got 2 million views off that. That's, yeah. that's,
0: that's what would have happened on that one.
1: Oh my gosh. Yeah.
2: <laughs> well, all right.
0: I didn't mean to um, der- derail all this, but that was a story that needed to be told,
2: Paul. That probably actually, makes you feel better, Paul. At least yours was just in the true. face. That's true.
1: Well, okay. And, you know, <laughs> once it's, it's it's like that stone off the lake or the river. You know, it skips and seems to pick up a lot. <laughs> yeah. You know? Sometimes you're better off just taking it on the fly. It's, yeah. uh, I don't know what the physics are behind that. That's just what it seems like. But you know what? That story actually is our segue. Thank you, Darren. <laughs> hey, speaking of fans, did you guys see what Kenyon Drake tweeted out? Kyle? What's us see here. I have it in front of me. This is Kenyon Drake tweeting about missing crowds and how maybe it made a difference, a big difference, quote, and this is Kenyon Drake now, thinking about something random, but the best game we had as a team last year was on the road against the Cowboys with fans in the stadium. Wasn't full, but the atmosphere was infectious. Hopefully we can bring back fans in a safe capacity next season football missed you guys so the question here on the cardinals underground brought to you by pacific office automation proud partner of the arizona cardinals in the words of stephen colbert the great american philosopher you know what that means probably something what exactly does that mean kyle
2: yeah i don't know i mean it's i think there's some obviously doesn't
0: believe in anything but numbers
2: Yeah. There's something, I mean, playing in front of a full stadium is obviously more exciting and and more fun, but does one team benefit more than the other? It's to me, it's happenstance that the Cardinals played their best game of the season in front of fans. I think if Dak Prescott was in that game, even though fans are there, do you still dominate? I mean, you played a backup quarterback. So to me, that's a bigger deal than having fans there. I, I mean, I think, The atmosphere of having fans is obviously great and any more we can get next season will be better. The biggest takeaway I took from it was the lack of home field advantage in 2020 because there was no crowd, because the officials didn't tend to favor the home team because of the crowd. And there's there are definitely data points that say not having fans was a big deal for this season. I'm just not sure that it benefits the road team or the home team or, or, you know, vice versa, because there are fans in the stands. So I guess I'll just take a incomplete on trying to have a hot take on that one.
0: So I I got to, I have to go here though. I I'm not saying advantage or not. I mean, I feel like, and I know Ron Wolfley would have a coronary just considering this, but. There are guys who are influenced and or motivated by that kind of stuff. I mean, there just are. And I I just, I I feel like guys, I think some guys do play harder in those instances. I I can't quantify it, I suppose, but I do think there are guys that it, it benefits from the standpoint of Their energy level isn't where it should be. And we can talk all day about them being pros and that shouldn't matter, but I mean, they're human beings.
2: But like, did this season end up I mean if we entered the season and you said the Chiefs and the Bucks were in the Super Bowl and Patrick Mahomes was going to be an MVP candidate and Aaron Rodgers like to me this wasn't an outlier season like the best teams in the beginning of the year that we projected were yeah. pretty much there at the end I didn't see a lot of crazy outlier things happening like Derek Henry was still a great running back and your star receivers were still your star receivers so I didn't I didn't notice anything out of the ordinary because of this big change, which it was, but I think it basically affected every team the
0: same. Well, if Kenyon Drake's saying it though, and we can argue whether Kenyon Drake had, I mean, I, even Kenyon Drake said he wished he had a better season. I mean, is it possible that that impacted him? So now you, I, I'm not sitting here and saying the blocking up front wasn't more important or whatever it might be, but And some of this, too, for me, is it it goes back to the person. You might be right, Kyle. There might be nothing that actually changes. But if the perception of Kenyon Drake or other players is that it makes a difference, then to me, it makes a difference. If that's their perception, at least to them.
1: All right, so two points, and I'll try and remember both of my points this time without failing. <laughs> Epic. Fail I got you if you,
2: if you forget halfway through. Yeah.
1: Number one, note to self, I should have learned by now, if I ever have one of these fan or intensity or urgency or these ethereal questions, <laughs> never go to Kyle, always go to Derek. Yeah. <laughs> Number two, maybe it's a case-by-case, player-by-player, team-by-team basis. If you're talking about Aaron Rodgers and Tom Brady, guys who have been there and done that and are going to prepare the same way for every single game, a Patrick Mahomes is coming off a Super Bowl and they're just incredibly talented. They can play in third gear and still win games in blowout fashion. But if you're talking about a young Cardinals team, for the most part, that's trying to get back to the tradition of winning, coming off seasons where they've won three and five games and they're still trying to figure that out. And once again, to me, it's. Not only is it Kenyon Drake, but Cliff Kingsbury said it a number of times through the season. I just looked it up because I wanted to confirm my recollection. But if you remember after the week four loss of Carolina, and we all were prone to blaming it on no Buddha Baker. But afterwards, Cliff Kingsbury said flat out, and I quote, we didn't match their intensity. And if you guys remember right here on Cardinals Underground, in between week four and week five, we all feared the worst, thinking, oh, no, they're going to play the New York Jets. And the Jets are desperate because they're winless. And they're going to be in a MetLife stadium with 80,000 empty seats with zero urgency and intensity and atmosphere and the dreaded 10 a.m. kickoff. And we all fear that. Now, the Cardinals obviously got a win there, and they got on a bit of a winning streak. But it was very real at multiple moments during this past season where we kicked it around, and it wasn't some media creation or fabrication. It was players and the head coach who cited it.
2: We're going to have to rewind time and listen to those because I think it is a media creation, like in the season opener in, in San Francisco, there's no fans. You're going against the reigning NFC champions. That wasn't an issue. Like there have been plenty of times in the season where the Cardinals looked fantastic when there were not fans and there were plenty of games where they didn't, but that's the ebbs and flows of a season that, that happened in 2019 and 2018 and 2017 and 2016. Like it, That just happens in the NFL. Is there a certain team you can point to that tremendously benefited from not having fans or was tremendously hurt if you look at their record or is it more tied to how their quarterback played and injuries? To me, it's just, it just felt like a standard season. Like the teams that did well had really good quarterback play or really good defenses. And it didn't tie to this energy and and urgency type theme.
1: I mean, if you want a media creation a media fabrication, I'll give you one right now. Here we go. How about week 16, the Cardinals come out like they did against the Niners, and they're underwhelming, obviously. If the house is full and they're getting booed, is that a kick in the rear? Is that the kick in the tail pad that gets them going and gets them into gear? Because I'll tell you what, there's been more than one instance over the years, and there's one in particular. And I can't remember what game it was, but I do remember the Cardinals came out and they were underperforming and they started booing. And Ken Wizenant reacted. He ripped off his headset to make sure he was hearing it right. And that cheesed him off. He, he went up and down the sideline and used that. Hey, your home fans are booing you. And he was screaming at guys. Do you hear that? And guys sort of like, okay, you know, sort of that urgency thing kind of kicked in. And they had a much better second half. So I'm I'm just—I throw that out there. Once again, we get back to this wall that we always hit on Cardinals Underground. You know, to me, players are human. You can't go ahead and grade everyone just based on numbers. None of us does our absolute best or brings our absolute utmost on the job every single day. Football is their job. There's going to be better days than others, better moments than others over the course of a game the nba in the fourth quarter and teams turn it on lebron got down 22 to 2 the other night and then they figured it out and they won by 20. so these things happen they're human beings so i tend to err on that side and honestly uh, if there were fans in the stands in some of these games i'd love to see how the cardinals would have reacted for example in seattle they've done it more than once feeding off those fans they didn't have that this year now was that a factor in the loss I can just tell you it was a factor in the wins over the last few years when they did win at Seattle.
0: (laughs) I mean, I don't, I, you know, I, again, I see, I see where Kyle is coming from. I see where you're coming from, Paul. I tend to lean a little bit more towards you. I do think that has an issue, but I understand where, where Kyle comes from and and it is, it's hard to quantify. And, and, you know, so I kind of get that, but. I think we'll all agree that whether it makes a big difference or not, it sucks not having them there. I think it does take away from the aesthetic of the game for sure.
1: By the way, remember earlier I threatened if we had a bad moment that I transition to one of my stories? Well, that was my fault right there. I left you guys hanging with nothing to respond to. So I'm going to put it on myself. I'm now going to bring up the LeBron headline that made news this week. <laughs> what you do in sports talk radio when it's February and you've got Jack to the squad to talk about, you bust out LeBron versus MJ. How about this one? How about the LeBron would have played in the NFL during the NBA lockout 2011? Do you see where he was quoted? Saying, it was a good story. would have made the team and that he had offers to work out and try
2: out by both the Cowboys and the Seahawks. Mina Kimes once tweeted, if you had to have a whole team of the same player, who would it be? And I think her answer was Cam Newton, which is a pretty good answer because you need linemen and quarterback and receivers. Maybe Patrick Peterson would be an option, but I replied to her and I said LeBron. I feel like even though he's a basketball player, you give me eleven LeBrons on the field. Like he's six seven or whatever. He's a great offensive lineman. He can run. I don't know if he can throw, but you can just run the triple option. But I, for one, would have loved to see LeBron in the NFL. Or I mean, he would have been an All Pro. I, that athletic skill set, you gave him an off season. I guarantee you, whether tight end or. Where do you want to play him? Linebacker, edge rusher, whatever you want to do with them, that dude was going to be an all-pro NFL player.
0: What's funny is you talk about whether he could throw. One of the embedded videos in that story for The Athletic um, included a, a shot of him throwing a pass, and he looked like he had a better arm than whoever they had playing quarterback. <laughs>
2: there you go. Oh.
1: <laughs> oh. I'd love to see LeBron in the NFL because for once and for all, nobody in that locker room could say they're the best basketball player on the team. You know, it was sort of like it was sort of like when MJ went to play minor league baseball. None of those guys could walk around and say, I'll take anyone in hoops because I was a star in high school hoops. And then, no, there's none of that. There's none of that conjecture. There's none of that trash talk because guess what? Over in locker number 18 over there is LeBron James. And so, you know, we're not going to have that. We see some desist. By the way, I got to get in the mandatory Manziel. Come on now. Johnny Manziel played in his first football game since he was, what, the Memphis Express or the AAF or whatever, 2019. I have no idea what this is. The fan-controlled football league. And Johnny Manziel, it's seven on seven. It's indoors. It's, It's like an arena field. And he went one of five passing for eleven yards. Not <laughs> sixty-seven yards at a touchdown.
0: Wait, wait, who 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 was he
1: playing for? And who'd they play against? Okay, so he was playing for he was playing for the
0: Zappers. Okay. And the
1: Zappers lost to the Beasts 48, well, 44.
0: Well, let me stop you right there, Paul, because I think we've talked about this before. The defense to the Beasts is really good. So yeah. i don't good know secondary. to be upset at one for five. Well,
1: the reason I was alerted to this is because he stole my quote. Every Friday, I used to use the quote, win or lose, we still booze, and then I'd go into the weekend. Well, his postgame quote after the game was, because somebody sent this to me, hey, good start, even with the loss, you know, win or lose, we booze on the zappers. Oh, <laughs> Johnny Manziel. Oh, that's awesome. Oh, so that's called hitting rock bottom right there.
2: No, that's called accepting, uh, accepting who you are at this point and enjoying it. I'm, I'm, I'm proud of him for saying that and doing that. That's awesome. Yeah. Well, so there was that,
1: and then there was the moment where I looked at the headline, and I said to myself, wait a minute. Do you see the headline where they said, All-Pro Sanders accepts $22 million contract extension with the Dolphins? And I sat there racking my brain at the headline. There's an All-Pro player on the Dolphins? Sanders? sanders i'm like what colonel sanders sanders what who and turns out it's jason sanders the kicker oh a i didn't know it was an all pro and b they gave him 22 million dollars 10 million on a four year deal to the kicker
0: he looked like an all pro when he kicked against the cardinals this year
1: yeah he did you're right you're absolutely didn't he kick the 55 yarder right before the end of the half or something like that right yeah so there you go. I, I hate to do it. I, I threatened to bring out those stories. So, uh, you know, we, we, we had to bust them out, uh, by the way, what'd you guys think of the Daniel Jeremiah mock draft that has them take, because I've seen this before, have we not taken the USC O-lineman, Elijah Vera Tucker, if I'm pronouncing that correctly, USC kid. And he played uh, guard and tackle, which always reminds me of the old Darnell Deckett docket rip job on the big red rage. When he said, yeah, Paul played football, guard and tackle guard the Gatorade bucket and tackle anyone who gets near it. So Doc had written me with that phrase back in the day. So that's That's what I always think of when I see a prospect who plays both guard and tackle. It brings back the pain I experienced on live radio.
2: Yeah, I think this guy might be a little bit more legit than you at football. We'll have to maybe do a little combine and and see how you guys match up. You can can mention your face can handle getting hit with a football. That's true. I can take a hit.
1: I can definitely take a hit. Uh, you don't want my measurables, though. I'll tell you that much. I'm not. I'm not yeah. stepping on the scale nor the height, and there be no vertical. Uh, I will not participate.
2: <laughs> I do think interior offensive line would make sense. I mean, it it seems like wide receiver, or if Kyle Pitts, the tight end, somehow was there, that makes a lot of sense to me too. Obviously, we've talked about cornerback. Um, edge rusher, I think would be in the mix, but interior O line, you look at, at what they have and the possibility of possibly upgrading in one of those three positions, or if you need a right tackle, we don't really know what Josh Jones is going to look like moving forward. It does make sense to address the offensive line in the draft. I'd, I'd probably be a little bit more surprised if it came in the first round, but I don't think it's out of the question.
1: And they obviously were trying to get a sense of what they had interior line. I think the second half of the season when Jr. Sweezy had his playing time alternated with other players, including Max Garcia, sort of like we saw the year before where Mason Cole was getting inserted both center and, and guard at, at different times. By the way, there was also the headline in the past week, the Cardinals hired an assistant special teams coach, Devin Fitzsimmons from Vanderbilt, obviously had a critical role in, in, in Sarah Fuller, and, and, and all those headlines there, the first woman to play in a power five conference football game last year. But getting back to Jason Sanders and, and kickers in general, uh, Zane Gonzalez, Mike Nugent and Andy Lee are all unrestricted free agents. Anyone got a gut feel, Darren? What's your expectation? Will there be change when it comes to the Cardinals specialists this offseason?
0: I think that's a great question. Uh, you know, I, I think with Andy Lee, it's something where, you know, or does he want to continue to play? Do they try and find somebody else? Um, I mean, I thought Andy Lee was relatively solid last year, and it might be a position where they don't want to have to think about it too much. Kicker's a whole different ball of wax. I mean, I don't expect Mike Nugent around, um, but what do they do with Zing Gonzalez? Obviously, he, he struggled on some big kicks, especially right before he got hurt, then he got hurt. Um He's shown he can do it in this league, but, you know, can he do it as consistently as they want? Uh, It's, it's a great question. And then finding that guy is important. And if you decide not to go with Zane Gonzalez, then exactly who are you going to go with?
1: What do you think Kyle? I mean, at the very least does Zane Gonzalez come back and he's on double secret probation and they bring in a legitimate contender for the job in training camp. And They try and ratchet up the pressure for no other reason than that's the closest you can get to replicating a real life game type situation and see how he reacts.
2: Yeah, that's, that's the big question, right? Like I think we would all agree that watching him compared to Mike Nugent, Zane Gonzalez had the stronger leg. He has more actual talent kicking the ball, but yeah. Is there a mental block at this point? Did having all those issues in clutch situations, mess him up mentally. And are you going to know that in the off season? So yeah, I mean, I feel like you could get Zan Gonzalez back at a pretty cheap price. And for his upside, it does make sense to roll with him because he has a strong leg. He's shown he can be accurate. And if he's in a good mental space, he can be a good player for you. On the flip side, what happens if if the mental issues remain and he's, he's nervous on those clutch kicks, you, you can't have that. I think we've seen special teams, um, the, the long snapper, I'm trying to remember the name, Cam holiday or Canada. Yeah. I mean, he, he kind of had some mental blocks a couple years ago and couldn't snap very well. I think it's a, it's a type of position where mentally you can get a little bit messed up. So I think, Zen Gonzalez has to prove to them that he's, he's right and he's doing well mentally. And, and if so, then I think he still makes sense, but I agree with you. Maybe, maybe having a kicker competition or, or looking elsewhere as well. It, that also makes sense to me where you want to have another option. If you think that's the best way to go.
0: Although it's funny, you bring up Cam Kennedy, who left here and he's been in Pittsburgh for a few years now and he does a great job. And yeah, I, has he made a pro bowl? If he hasn't made it, so. I think so. So, I mean, yeah. That's the
1: thing I did not know that I, I that's some good knowledge right there long snapper knowledge see that that's that's what you get here on Cardinals underground really, he was the guy week three 2017 at Buffalo that you could argue cost him that game. He, he yeah, and several missed long is right I mean there were several issues one ended up in a turnover I believe.
2: Yeah, and there was talk in the New England game when they lost on the last second field goal that the snap wasn't perfect. And then uh, Catanzaro missed that field goal to win the game. They lost to the Patriots. And then the Bills game was, yeah, was pretty ugly. They had a, a bad snap, maybe returned return for a touchdown or something yeah. pretty bad. And But Darren makes a great point. He rebounded and I think he's a Pro Bowl long snapper now. So where is that line where you give somebody a second chance knowing he has talent versus being worried about the bad case scenario of something going horribly wrong in a game, maybe costing you an outcome. So a very interesting discussion this offseason. Maybe Jeff Rogers takes the lead on that because he knows Zane Gonzalez really well. And they lean on him and say, what do you think? How is his mind frame? And and where do we go from here?
1: I mean the audacity of former longtime Cardinals long snapper Mike Leach to retire and then lose about 50 pounds so even when they called him a month into the season to see if he was still available and interested, he weighed like a buck 80. And they're like, wait a minute, we, we can't put you out in an NFL field. You're going to get dismembered. And so, you know, I mean, come on, Mike, you know, stay in game shape. What's going on? You go to the East Coast and you actually start running marathons. And he pulled like an Alan Fanica or something and lost all these pounds. Like, what's he doing?
0: Who thought we were going to be talking so much long snapper today?
1: That's right. You know, I mean, Aaron Brewer, where are you? all of Mike Leach's time is consumed by responding to people who erroneously think he's Mike Leach, the football coach, (laughs) college football coach. That's how, you know, anyway. So, yeah. All right. Well, there you go. Uh, We got in the weather. We got in long snapper talk, Johnny Manziel, LeBron to the NFL, and then some actual Cardinals talk uh, all in between. So I'm getting a nod from Kyle Uh, and, and of course we manage on a weekly basis where I get absolutely shot down for anything that has to do with, you know, human condition around here because uh, Kyle isn't buying it. So no matter how often I try, I I, I get faced. So uh, there you go. The robots are coming. Yep. it was a complete and robust edition of Cardinals Underground, brought to you by Pacific Office Automation, proud partner of the Arizona Cardinals. Where's the propane heater?